The World Economic Forum classifies disruptive technologies as one of three components of the fourth industrial revolution, the other two being innovation and the rise of social media. All these three derive their roots from artificial intelligence, and this puts AI at the core of the fourth industrial revolution. It has a transformative impact on the labor market, business, international trade and trade negotiations, banking and payment systems, and overall GDP growth. The growth of AI and the development of disruptive technologies continue unabated. Economic conditions that support the fourth industrial revolution stand to change significantly in post-COVID-19 global economy, and the role of AI in disruptive technologies may change as well. In this episode of the Risk Experience podcast, we discuss the impact of disruptive technologies on the global economy in the aftermath of the coronavirus pandemic, focusing mainly on the labor market and industry. This will constitute part one of this discussion. In part two, we shall turn our attention to the impact of artificial intelligence and disruptive technologies on international trade and the global economy. And joining me today for this discussion is Dr. Badri Narayanan Gopalakrishnan. Dr. Badri is a consultant economist for McKinsey & Co. He also consults extensively for several organizations and governments, such as the Economic Advisory Council of the U.S. President, the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the World Bank, United Nations, European Commission, World Trade Organization, Food and Agriculture Organization, the World Health Organization, International Labor Organization, and many other local and international organizations. He is also a co-founder and partner at Infinite Sum Modeling Incorporated. Welcome to the Risk Experience Podcast, Dr. Badri. Thank you very much, Dr. Frank. Thank you for making time to join the discussion. Thank you very much. I look forward to that. All right. So starting from the basics, what exactly should people think about when they hear the phrase disruptive technologies? There are a wide range of disruptive technologies. And broadly speaking, disruptive technology is any technology, any new innovation that has the ability to change the way we are doing things completely. And the word disruption need not be thought of in a negative sense. Right. So it's just changing the way things are done and it could be largely positive because many times when we completely transform the way we are doing things, it may even be for the better. Right. And disruptive technologies are usually thought in that context. Right. Okay. So that's a very good clarification. So artificial intelligence and disruptive technologies have been with us for a long time, progressively gaining grounds over the years. We had the first wave starting sometime in the 1970s all the way to the 1990s, during which period AI systems that were developed were good at reasoning but had no ability to learn or generalize. Then came the second wave starting from the 2000s to the present period, and the AI systems developed during this period have been good at learning and perceiving but have minimal ability to reason or generalize. With all that we are seeing in this present period with the impressive technologies around us, These are still classified as narrow AI. General AI, which is the ability of machines to think and act like humans, appears to be achievable in the distant future. How different should we expect the impact of AI and disruptive technologies to be on post-COVID-19 world economy relative to their impact now? In other words, what is going to change as a result of the coronavirus pandemic that will make the impact of AI and disruptive technologies different from what we are seeing today? So, like you rightly pointed out, we had an early stage of AI, which was probably even before the first phase that you mentioned. There was a lot of imagination happening, a lot of science fiction and movies and series. Right. Like, if you think about 
series called Twilight Zone. Right. Many of the episodes talk about broad AI or general AI, which is developing missions that can think like humans and act like humans. Correct. So those things were there. And in the, in the first phase of AI, there were a lot of developments in computer science related to that and some manufacturing aspects. These things were happening. But the last few years have seen a huge transformation in this field in terms of, you know, data analytics, you know, big data and, you know, data science, uh, learning, you know, pattern recognition, facial recognition, you know, deep learning. So all these things have come up in the recent past and that has dominated the field over the past, you know, decade or so. So given this rapid uh, transformation that is happening, we typically call this digital transformation. Right. Now, this is already in a very accelerated phase in the past few years. And now with coronavirus, what is changing is a few different things that are happening that may structurally change the path that we have been taking so far. Right. So first thing is, at the moment, we are all doing a lot of you know work from home and we are all waiting for the you know shutdown to be over, the lockdown to you know go away and so on. However, even after that, this status quo is going to prevail for some more time. And eventually, it may even become like a permanent change where uh, we work from home, we do all the services. The services industries are pretty much done from home or remotely. So uh, things like cloud services and also supercomputers kind of you know clusters and so on, they are going to be pretty prominent in the coming years. And secondly, this is, this is about services. But Think about manufacturing. Right. So manufacturing also, there is going to be more and more uh, pressure on the companies to produce things with fewer people because when you have people, then you have interactions. Mm-hmm. Correct. And at the moment, that's going to reduce over time. Like physical distancing is happening already. And uh, that means that you will need more and more machines and artificial intelligence and many of these disruptive technologies to, to be more prominent. Exactly. And that is that is where I see that this whatever digital transformation that was happening in the past few years, the companies and the industries that stayed out of the transformation, they are going to be getting into this. Exactly. And we are going to witness a huge transformation going forward. And uh, and I think that is the reason. I think this whole notion of uh, physical distancing and the unsustainability or lack of sustainability of prolonged lockdown is actually going to let the people think innovatively both the both the industries governments and uh, you know people at large they are going to start thinking along the lines of digital transformation and that is how you know ai and all the other technologies are going to be much more relevant in the future even after the corona episode is over right now let's look at the specific areas where disruptive technologies may have a significant impact, starting with the labor market, and then we will transition into industry. When we consider the labor market, which is the biggest concern for most people whenever there's a discussion on artificial intelligence and disruptive technologies, what do you think will be the impact of disruptive technologies on employment? Yeah, I think that's a great question and and that's probably the first question that we worry about when we think about disruptive technologies and right. That is one reason why we all tend to associate disruptions with uh, probably in a somewhat negative connotation. Right. Because we we imagine that these disruptive technologies are by definition they are increasing efficiency and reducing the labor needed, right? Right. And uh, that is how people directly get into the conclusion that these disruptive technologies are going to be bad for the labor market. Exactly. 
So that has been a concern that a lot of people have. And my take of that concern is I have done some research on this and I can probably explain a little bit along those lines in a, in a simple way. Right. There are numerous types of uh, tasks that are involved today to manufacture any product or to deliver any service. And many of those tasks are uh, automatable. You can automate many of those tasks. And some of those tasks you can automate partially. Right. And so on. So the extent of ability to automate or use AI for simplifying the human you know, participation in the tasks uh, is very high, but it is also limited. So the first thing is the ability to uh, displace labor is there. Definitely that is there in artificial intelligence and uh, other technologies. There is going to be some displacement of labor. Uh, but at the same time, it is not necessarily at the scale that we are afraid of. So when, when the steam engine was first uh, you know, invented or when electricity was first invented, people were uh, worried about many things at that time because there are a lot of laborers uh, who are involved in jobs that, let's say, transportation, there are a lot of uh, long distance, uh, you know, horse carts. You would have, you would have these horse cart drivers who would become jobless once you have steam engines. Right. And similarly, when electricity came, a lot of things that we were doing, uh, we were employing people for you know, a lot of mechanical activities, we stopped using them and we have started using machines instead. Like you can start from textiles. We had hand looms, millions of people who are working in the textile industry. And because of the entry of power looms and all the other automated devices, uh, we, we stopped uh, them. But if you think about it over the past 200 years, the employment has only increased. The number of people employed has only increased. It has not fallen. Right. It appears to be miraculous, but what actually happened is that the the taste of people change. So initially, the people who are doing the mechanical jobs, they are out of jobs. So they try to reinvent themselves. They kind of upgrade their skills. They become more skilled and do something more interesting. And people who are already doing uh, doing well, people who are already at a in a high skill kind of positions, they now earn more income because now their skills are on high demand. Right. And they are also going to have more leisure because they're going to earn more money and they'll have more time to spend, more money to spend. And their taste is going to be more customized. And there's going to be demand for the other you know, laborers who are displaced. And, you know, for example, 200 years ago, you, you wouldn't have seen many, you know, restaurants and kind of variety of restaurants we have today. You wouldn't have seen, you know, maybe even 100 years ago. So now we have so much uh, variety. And that variety was possible because of automation and all these new technologies. So going forward, I think that two things can happen because of these disruptive technologies. First thing is, to some extent, some of the more intelligent you know, jobs that require some level of intelligence may also be uh, automated. And uh, that may have some ramifications for the job market for those kind of jobs. However, there is also going to be an expansion for demand for other kinds of goods and services. Right. So new markets are going to be established and the digital economy is going to expand. So so this is this is how the labor market is going to transform. So labor market is going to become kind of an overall upgradation of uh, skills in the labor market is going to happen. And definitely, I, I shouldn't be over optimistic. <laughs> yeah. Definitely, there is going to be some you know displacement. Uh, because this transformation we are talking about is nothing like what happened, you know, 100 years ago or 200 years ago. You know, then we were talking about mechanical jobs that are being replaced, but now we are talking about even intelligent jobs that can be replaced. 
Right. So, so that means that the purpose of existence of you know human beings uh, has to be very high. So, unless you are indulging yourself in a very very highly creative, innovative activity, uh, you are going to be less in demand. Or either either you are operating on a very highly intellectual level, creative level, innovative level, or you have some very very special skill, niche skill that cannot be replicated by any machine or any AI algorithm. Like probably you. You're a, you're a wonderful chef <laughs> who can cook some uh, interesting things which no machine can make. Right. You know, those kind of things, right? So I think that is how the labor market is going to be. And as a result, not every citizen in the world, not, not every human being in the world can fit into either of these two categories. So you are going to see increase in uh, unemployment and you know, lack of uh, labor market participation. So I think definitely the governments have a very, very important role to play. And their role is uh, probably, broadly speaking, two things. One thing is uh, they have to make sure that the skills of uh, people are upgraded quickly. They have to really heavily invest on skill development. Right. And basically, uh, they have to try to bring a large part of the population to the first category where everyone thinks you know, highly intellectually and they have, the, they, they have the skills needed to understand all these disruptive technologies and understand where which can be used. So they have to be very good operators, right? These All these technologies exist. Somebody has to strategically think about what is good for what and operate. So the architects, people who uh, think about the high-level problems and come up with solutions, that has to, that those kind of skills should increase. Correct. And the second level of people with niche uh, skill sets, which can be technical, non-technical, digital-related, or uh, physical, any, any kind of skill that cannot be easily replicated by emissions. So those two types of skills should be developed by the government. And uh, what I've seen in some of my research is that if this intervention doesn't happen in the future, there can be huge increase in inequality. Right. So if governments do not invest in skill development, there can be huge increase in inequality. And that can lead to massive you know, unrest and all kinds of things can happen. So this is the first solution or strategy that the government should take. The second strategy they should take is even after any amount of skill development, you, you will still have a lot of people left out just because, you know, you always have this issue of mismatch, right? You, you may be good at something, but that thing is not there anymore, right? So, and in that kind of situation, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to suffer. And as I mentioned before, and that has to be taken care of by the government by coming up with some income security schemes. Maybe in this context, I think uh, things like universal basic income are going to be very important and relevant. Right. So I think, yeah, to summarize, I can say that definitely disruptive technologies can bring a lot of good things, even for the labor market, particularly for the people who are willing to, willing to and able to upgrade their skills. But then there are also negative ramifications in terms of unemployment and lack of income by certain pockets of the population, which can be large if the government doesn't take the step of massive skill development and assurance of income security for people who do not make it finally. Right. That is a very good explanation. I totally agree with you on the impact of artificial intelligence and disruptive technologies on the labor market. However, one thing we also see is that if you look at the invention of computers from the 1970s until the 1990s, secretarial jobs were one of the first to be impacted. What happened was that in most cases, there was retraining of workers to be able to use computers. On the other hand, others transitioned into new roles as people more conversant with computers were hired in their place. So you see a redistribution of labor either within the same firm or industry or even across different industries rather than outright job losses. 
So I see AI and disruptive technologies redistributing labor based on their capabilities. So most likely, the only major impact is the quality of jobs people may be employed in, but not the availability of jobs or otherwise. The result of this will be job and wage inequalities, as you mentioned, with increased demand for high school workers leading to higher wages and further widening the wage gap. It may also lead to the paradox of plenty, where aggregate wealth of society increases in the face of AI and disruptive technologies, but the income of many individuals may be lower, underscoring the income gap resulting from job and wage inequalities. So the solution to bridging this gap will be a race between technology and education, whether workers are gaining more education and training to match the evolving technology that threatens their job. That is going to be a key factor. So your recommendation that there should be enhanced training for people is going to be at the very heart of bridging this inequality gap. And to add to what you mentioned earlier, if you look at all the technological innovations that occurred in the past, they always generated fear around their likely impact on jobs. But each time, these innovations created more jobs than were displaced. The introduction of computers and other technologies opened new markets and job opportunities that never existed and perhaps never would have existed without computers. We can think of ancillary businesses that produce individual components of computers like memory chips and sound cards, as well as other businesses that sprang up such as Google, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Uber. Millions of jobs have been created as a result of the creation of these markets. So if there's going to be any job losses at all, I believe it's going to be a short-term phenomenon. In the long run, however, job creation is going to prevail. So we see that the impact of destructive technologies on labor is more complex and nuanced than we mostly think about. Yeah, I completely agree with you. So there is going to be a change in the way we are doing things. So there are new ways in which we are going to do things and new companies, new services and so on. Right. And at the same time, there will be some uh, job losses and with the right strategies by the individuals, by the companies and the governments, uh, they can also be absorbed. Now, going a step further, following up on what you said, in terms of impact on the industry or how disruptive technologies will affect the affect the industries, here I think there are a few fundamental changes that can happen. Right. First is if you think about, uh, let's say, manufacturing sector. One great technology that we have been discussing in general is 3D printing. Correct. With 3D printing, two fundamental principles of economics are challenged. First thing is the comparative advantage theory, where when you have two countries, one which has a cheaper labor, another which has a costier labor, and if you're producing something that is labor intensive, then obviously the country with cheaper labor is going to win, and that is going to produce that product and export it to the country that has costlier labor. Right. So now this fundamental uh, theory is going to be challenged now because when you have 3D printing, you don't you don't need any cheap labor. Right. Because you are feeding your design to the 3D printing machine, and then you are pressing print, and then your object is printed. So that is now being challenged with with uh, with 3D printing, and also with other robotics and automation and so on, where labor is not, labor is actually minimized, particularly blue-collar labor is not needed. Now, the second thing is, think about, again, coming back to the example of 3D printing. In, in a traditional economic system, when you have a factory that produces 1 million, or a factory that has a turnover of, let's say, $1 million per year, and if you have another factory that has a turnover of, let's say, $10 million uh, per year, the productivity of the second factory 
is going to be much more than the productivity of the first factory. Uh, this is this is a concept called economies of scale. Right. So when you have a larger scale, then you are actually be, going to be more efficient. Producing more things is cheaper than producing fewer things. Uh, now again, this is going to be challenged by a technology like 3D printing because whether you have one 3D printer or you have one million 3D printer, you are only going to produce X number of goods per 3D printer. So there is not so much of a scale effect here. So if you have many 3D printers, you can probably be able to produce more, but your marginal cost or the the cost to produce additional good is not going to decrease when you have higher scale. Right. So this is one example of how fundamentally things can change. And in terms of, you know, services sector, you can do a lot of things virtually. You know, doctors can uh, look at your health and prescribe you medicines in, uh, you know, from a distance. It's already happening right now, actually, right? Right. Right now it is happening because we are, we are all scared to go to the hospital if you don't have COVID because we, we don't want to get COVID. We don't want to catch it. Right. So basically, we, we don't go there. We just talk to the doctors. We have a Zoom call or we have a, a Hangout, Google Hangout call or something. And then the doctors basically uh, help us. And that industry is developing. I know a couple of friends who are involved in that industry, the telemedicine industry, and they are saying that they are just overworked now. They, they really need to expand and so on. Similarly, the whole industry of, uh, like I told you, Zoom and Google Hangout, Microsoft Teams, uh, all my friends in these companies, they have been really busy and they're on a recruitment drive. They're recruiting more people. Similarly, the delivery services, like, you know, take Amazon, for example, people are buying a lot of things online. So their services are becoming much more uh, in demand. So the way things work in different industries are changing. Similarly, if you think about uh, restaurants today, because of physical distancing, uh, I think it must have been many weeks since most of the listeners would have eaten something delicious in a, in a restaurant, in their favorite restaurants, right? Right. Now, uh, that is also kind of changing now because many restaurants are thinking of tying up with organizations, companies like Uber Eats to basically deliver uh, your food to your doorsteps. And without, uh, you know, physical contact, you know, you don't have to go to a crowded place to enjoy your lunch, but it can come to your place. So these are the kind of, you know, transformations that can happen. In fact, I see even uh, people are joining companies. Like I I saw a couple of uh, head of uh, uh, institutions they actually joined the company remotely, right? So these things are unimaginable before. Right. And now if these things happen, even after the shutdown is removed, these things are going to continue for a while because people are going to prioritize safety over anything else. Right. And eventually it is quite possible that it may become a eureka moment for everyone. We may all think that, okay, this is working. We're able to do it. We're able to do it without, without commuting, without going anywhere. So let's just do it this way. And then the industries are going to uh, adapt to this kind of new way of working. And maybe you won't need a lot of commercial real estate anymore. A lot of the office spaces are going to be shifted towards home. So the real estate industry, particularly at the residential real estate industry, may boom. Right. Because people may want to develop new houses in which they have, you know, very good insulation for home office. Right. So this is actually a new industry. This can be a new industry. Right. So uh, it's only up to our imagination. There are so many new things that can happen. And when I when I talk about even recovery from COVID, I do think of all these things. When when startups, they think of 
ways to survey, ways to you know come up with a better business model, new products, and so on. This is a time to experiment because it is a very different crisis, unlike our global financial crisis of 2008 or even 1930s depression. Right. Because the fundamental of the economy has been pretty strong before, and now a lot of businesses have active businesses going on, and they are just figuring out how to work all the things remotely and without physical contact. So I think if startups and even large companies they come up with uh, new technologies, new uh, applications based on disruptive technologies to change the way we are uh, working, that can go a long way and that can become a permanent business model for them. They can develop as solutions for this period can become viable options for post-covid world. And that is how I envision that this post-covid world is going to be a world of opportunity for uh, disruptive technologies. Right. That's a very good point you've made, and I believe this will be a good place to transition to the impact of AI and disruptive technologies on industry. We see that automation is a more important resource now in the period of the coronavirus pandemic and will likely remain so in its aftermath. A McKinsey research finding suggests that by 2030, at least 70% of companies might have adopted one type of AI technology. With regard to industry, what do you anticipate will be the major impact of disruptive technologies in post-COVID-19 world economy? Yeah, I think definitely the transformation of industries adopting disruptive technologies is going to be a major factor. Uh, I think so far, it was more of a choice kind of thing, like the industries right. could choose between adopting these technologies and not adopting these technologies. And, and uh, pundits and gurus, management gurus, they would say, Definitely, you know, you should definitely take it on your head and you should implement these technologies, adopt these technologies. Some industries would take it, some industries would not take it. But now the situation is very different. You don't have much of a choice. You have to take it. The industries have to work with the new technologies, disruptive technologies. And like the McKinsey studies, in some of which I've also worked with, we have found that what you can think of as adoption rates, right? That rate is going to increase. Right and more out of necessity than anything else. And then once uh, companies adopt that, they're going to realize that it's going to increase efficiency a lot. Possibly, we are going to contribute better to the, the sustainable development goals, SDGs. So maybe lower emissions because you're commuting less, you're optimizing your processes using AI, you're reducing wastage and all, all these different things. So you're basically, you're in a more efficient world. When you're in a more efficient world, that is also more more sustainable. Right. So I think that that is the you know broad effect on industries, and I think I gave some examples in the previous discussion on how services industries can change, how manufacturing industries can change, like the three D printing and you know big data analytics and so on. And for example, another example I can give is the whole uh, maintenance routines in the manufacturing companies can be transformed by using big data analytics. So if you have big data analytics and if you combine that with cloud and uh, AI, uh, you can actually uh, develop a system where the parts that are not functioning well in the machines, they can be automatically replaced without having to wait for a schedule. Right. So what happens in this kind, this kind of processes is that first you are able to uh, minimize waste because if you go by the schedule, uh, sometimes you have to replace things that are functioning well. Right. And secondly, you're also uh, improving efficiency because many times, uh, you know, sometimes the parts may malfunction and there may be accidents, there may be losses, uh, if, if, uh, even if you stick to the maintenance schedule. 
so the the right the maintenance at the right time can be facilitated by these kind of predictive maintenance technologies which are actually part of you know industry 4.0 right and similarly many other manufacturing processes can be optimized using uh, you know artificial intelligence and usually this whole suite of tools uh, together uh, another interesting application could be more transparency in terms of you know supply chains and in terms of uh, uh, end deliveries because even now you know buy something on amazon or uh, fedex or ups you are shipping something you can actually track wh- what is happening where is it which which location is it now when is it coming all these details exactly but this is happening with some traditional technologies but now think about a situation where you have some chips some kind of internet of things kind of devices iot devices right which are plugged in with uh, your let's say food products let's say you are eating an apple and the apple from the farm you have a chip that monitors its temperature humidity the way it is stored whether there are chemicals around all these things and then it it keeps monitoring it until it comes to your plate right and you can see the entire the customers can see the entire uh, thing that is happening it is this is this can be facilitated by a combination of you know internet of things blockchain you know ai uh, all these things put together and ai particularly here can help uh, reduce losses so ai can alert the system saying that okay this apple is going to get spoiled so better either sell it immediately or or throw it away uh, right that kind of thing the expiry expiry date can be you know automatically you know figured out by ai so so these are these are some other uh, parts like agriculture and food processing industry where ai and all these distributed technologies can be very helpful right and uh, with uh, some of the companies that are implementing these technologies so i can say that these are these are really uh, you know amazing uh, things that can happen in the future uh, so this this also is going to reduce corruption in the system corruption and lack of transparency in the system right and only the companies and the industries that are very loyal to the customer the very customer service oriented and uh, focusing on quality you know hygiene only those can survive again go back to the example of restaurants i talked about deliveries right but even beyond deliveries they, they can also make their uh, cooking process transparent they can say this is what we cook we are completely hygienic right and then those are the companies or restaurants who will be on high higher demand people will know that they are transparent they are showing everything they are revealing what they were, whatever they are doing and again they can also use uh, you know ai kind of technologies for you know minimizing their losses and maximizing the quality so all these uh, different types of industries can benefit a lot uh, by these new technologies and the role of uh, human beings can also be elevated right instead of mundane jobs where you go and repeated repeatedly do certain things and even intellectually you think about uh, things that are not extremely uh, you know satisfying they can be uh, done by machines uh, machines can take care of a lot of these things most people don't like looking at excel file of million observations right such things can be automated they can, ai can be used to just take these millions of observations and come up with actionable insights right so these are the things that can really foster efficiency increase transparency reduce losses uh, reduce emissions and maybe even improve health of people at least people can know what they are eating people can understand what they are doing what they are eating even even for example uh, things like uh, our phones laptops all these things can be more transparent you can have a barcode and you you scan it and it can tell you what are the different materials here are there any hazardous materials in it right and you can choose to buy or not to buy a laptop or uh, or a phone depending on what is in it right so all these things not only simply about uh, efficiency and cost reduction 
but also many other things like you know transparency uh, you know reduced emissions improved health and so on so i think this is the these are the kind of transformations that that i think of and i think we already discussed how i'm positioning these explanations particularly in the context of post covid world exactly because even before these things exist we have all these capabilities but post covid the covid actually kind of pushes people to come up with these solutions faster right and address these issues much faster than ever before so that is how they become suddenly all the more relevant right the oecd also advocates that non rival technologies be diffused across all firms what do you think will be the impact of such a recommendation on the incentive to innovate yeah when you think of it uh, superficially we tend to think that there is a tension between what you can say competition and innovation right right so if you want to innovate you want to protect the interest of innovators you you keep it secret you have trade secrets you have intellectual property protection and so on right and on the other hand that also can lead to some kind of monopoly so maybe somebody can come up with a brilliant idea and then the whole world has to depend on that person to deliver because the intellectual property is protected right so that means that there is a lack of competition while there are thousand people who are willing to do that only the the only person who does that is the one who has the intellectual property right so this lies at the heart of tension or trade off between competition and innovation right however the way i see it is uh, very different when you have proper incentives and measures open source or sharing knowledge sharing all these technologies freely uh, can actually go a long way in promoting both the interest of innovators and the interest of the whole world uh, the reason is that uh, yeah you you definitely have some you know intellectual property protection i'm not saying that don't have any copyright any patent or anything but being open to share your findings share your new technologies with the whole world can actually benefit the innovator as well right because the innovator at the end of the day is just one person or one group of people so they have some they will have their own limitations they just find something and they are happy with it and they make money out of it and they are done but instead of that if they open it to the public there are two things that are that can happen first thing is there is a lot of people who are going to join hands and develop it further and then you can you know get the, all those inputs and develop your system even more and secondly whatever you have developed developed exactly not many people can simply copy that so your own your own interest will also be preserved right so basically i i also agree with that uh, the oecd recommendation that uh, there should be more sharing of all these technologies we we should avoid uh, reinventing wheels right we don't want google facebook and microsoft do the same thing and come up with the same solution in different brand names right, right. so so it will be ideal if they all collaborate and come up with something similar or or maybe they each of them specialize in different problems they can solve different problems and find different solutions but once they find solutions they can share with everyone right i think that would be a great way forward and that is kind of the spirit of you know academic research but that has also been the spirit of you know things like linux foundation uh, gnu and all these things so the software industry has already witnessed uh, this kind of open source sharing of knowledge sharing of technology right so i do see this uh, happening in a large scale you can see for example uh, google has been a frontline uh, leader in this they have released a lot of their uh, software uh, free of cost for public use and this can actually help not only these big companies among themselves the innovators among themselves 
but also it phenomenally reduces the costs or barriers of entry uh, for the small and medium businesses who would not be able to hire a consultant from a big company. Right. Rather, they can use all these existing open source technologies to develop their own AI systems. And I think, you know, companies like Google has been, they, they have been playing an important role in making their disruptive technologies to reach the common people by making them freely available and open source. So definitely, this is a great way to go forward. Right. Right. So talking about collaboration, what comes to mind readily now is the race between different companies to come up with a vaccine for this coronavirus. Isn't there an opportunity for them to collaborate with whatever technologies they are using so that they can share information more effectively and efficiently to come up with a more usable and an appropriate vaccine in good timing rather than every individual company coming up with their own vaccine for this coronavirus? Isn't there a way to collaborate? Yeah, definitely. It would be ideal for the firms to collaborate rather than compete or be in a race for a race for this. Right. Uh, so I think that should be the spirit. And, and I think this whole handling of the pandemic itself could have been much better if all the countries in the world formed some kind of coordination committee or something where all the decisions are taken globally in consultation with each other rather than each country coming up with its own thing and kind of insulating from other countries and so on. So th- these kind of pandemics need you know, global response, global coordination of a response. So this is very similar to the kind of point you mentioned uh, about vaccination. So collaboration is definitely the uh, way to go in almost uh, all circumstances we have today, rather than competition. Right. One thing we also see is that the impact of disruptive technology on industry appears to depend largely on the timing of adopting these technologies. Current large firms who may also be the early adopters of disruptive technologies may transform into super firms, while small businesses will rise to take up their place doing projects now done by these large firms. This is likely going to yield a three-tier industrial organization with significantly large firms, mid-sized firms, and very small firms. The irony is that mid-sized firms that are mostly late adopters of technology may be at a disadvantage due to cost overruns from adapting these disruptive technologies without the commensurate return. This is because they do not have the necessary skill to profit from their investments in the technologies, having adapted these technologies late. On the contrary, smaller firms that are mostly non-adapters of technology and sticking to what they know and do best stand a better chance of surviving the technological innovation. Sadly, this is going to create a winner-takes-all phenomenon, with super firms as the winners in the end. Do you see this difference in scale playing out among firms? Yeah, definitely. I do take your point and I I agree with you largely. But I also think there is another uh, kind of twist to this. And that is basically the fact that when you talk about these disruptive technologies and innovations, many times they are very risky to implement in a large scale. Right. And in that sense, SMBs are maybe at a, at an advantage. So a lot of things can be experimented in a small scale. And if they are successful, then obviously they can, even the small scale firms can scale up and become big, or they can be replicated by large firms. So basically, when it comes to these new technologies, I think small industries have as much opportunity as they have threats. So the threats is what you mentioned, which is uh, which I completely agree, because 
there are a lot of investments needed there are a lot of fundamental changes that are required so these are only possible typically with large firms so the small firms will be lagging behind right but however if you are talking about a firm that is just starting afresh a small company that is just starting they can start with all this uh, disruptive technologies to begin with and and they can also experiment they can experiment with something that is right now some research that is going on in a, in a university they can take that and implement it they can really go to the latest of the latest that is coming and and they can experiment that in a small scale right so i do think that uh, small industries have both this opportunity and threat and it is up to them to uh, come up with proper strategies to minimize the threat and maximize the opportunity and maybe even the large firms can actually collaborate with the small firms and which is something i have also seen in the industry i have seen uh, for example microsoft and uh, all these companies google all these companies uh, they have uh, separate divisions that handle relationship with small small industries right so they literally help the small industries to uh, startups and other small industries to basically make use of their latest technologies like cloud or iot or ai all these technologies they provide them to small industries at a discounted pricing uh, or uh, even uh, free uh, depending on like if if the small companies have very promising new ideas these giants don't even hesitate to fund them so i think this is actually uh, uh, the third dimension so like the first dimension is the the threat like the, like you rightly pointed out that small industries can stay behind right second is opportunity part where small is beautiful kind of argument where you can you can do a lot of things in a small scale a lot of experimentation of new technologies and the third thing is also the collaboration between the large industries and small industries where the large industries can support the small industries in terms of technical know-how technology and also investment sometimes they can also provide them investment right so i think that is how i see it i see like all things in the world i see this is also a mixed picture you have pros and cons positives and negatives and i think it, the ultimate end story is going to be written by the individual small industries it depends on how they take it either either they think that okay we just cannot compete so we should just quit our business and go away or they should persist and they should take up the latest or the latest that is coming and identify their niche in terms of new technologies and implement them or in this sense they can also be uh, implementers of new tech they can be first movers not only uh, so there are two types of small industries right one that are users of existing technologies right another could be developers of new technologies or implementers of new technologies right so the small industries could fall under either categories and in either categories they can either develop the latest new technologies and implement them or they can use that for their other functions in the other category they can use the latest technologies available for whatever they are manufacturing and so on so both things are possible and obviously they can they should seek collaborations with the large firms they should keep an eye out on uh, various announcements made by the big companies on collaborations right that is very good so let's look at the impact of these technologies on post covid-19 banking and payment systems how are banking and payment systems going to change with ai and disruptive technologies post covid-19 Here we can think of technologies like blockchain and cryptocurrency. Yeah, definitely, you know, blockchain has been a major growth industry in the past few years. Right. Despite the the crisis we had last year, last year we had a crypto crisis. Right. That has actually resulted in a, some kind of cleansing. So we we even talk about the current COVID crisis as a cleansing process where we kind of burn our bad habits and uh, enhance our good habits. Correct. 
So in the same way, what happened to the blockchain and crypto markets was they had been exploited by a lot of people as buzzwords. So the moment you say that I, I'm building a new cryptocurrency or a new blockchain and I'm going to do a token launch, I'm going to do a ICO, uh, you know, initial coin offering and all these things. And in essence, if you actually look at their project in detail, they wouldn't have anything substantial. They just make use of the buzzwords and do that. So that kind of practice has gone away. Right. Because during the crisis, it became like a bubble that burst. And now whatever is remaining in the blockchain industry is genuine uh, industries, the genuine companies that want to make, you know, develop genuine solutions to genuine business problems. So only, only if you can solve problems using solutions. So for example, if, you're, if you have a banking or financial solution using blockchain, you should be able to explain your solution without using the word blockchain. Right. So that is how it is. As long as you can think of a business problem as it is and come up with a solution, it can succeed. So that is uh, what I think about the blockchain industry. Uh, as long as they, they can focus on the problem that is there and solve it, rather than kind of thinking of blockchain as a savior of the world and can do anything, but focus on what is the business problem, how can you solve. Uh, then a lot of things can be done. In the financial industry, they have been already doing a lot of interesting things. Initially, cryptocurrency was thought of as a threat for the entire mainstream formal financial system. But that is already changing, uh, particularly with the advent of uh, you know private blockchains. Because when, when you had public blockchains, then uh, you know people are worried about privacy concerns and those kind of things. But uh, and, and not more than privacy, the you know, cyber security threats and those kind of issues, which is actually, in my opinion, unfounded. Actually, public blockchains are actually as safe as private blockchain. But at least psychologically speaking, the private blockchains have have led to a proliferation of uh, technologies for the uh, financial system, banking system, for transactions and so on. And they have been mainstreamized. Visa and uh, I think even American Express, they have all they're all beginning to work on these technologies implementing blockchain in their uh, system and even governments have been re re generally reluctant to adopt cryptocurrencies but that is also changing with uh, china announcing their own uh, sovereign digital cryptocurrency uh, which is kind of linked with their uh, their currency that is a game changer right and many other governments have also been talking about that so i think definitely the banking and financial industry will benefit from such changes Transactions, the cross-border transactions can happen very quickly, immediately. And also, uh, one interesting thing I saw recently, it was more of a funny idea, but, but I think it is very relevant in today's COVID times, is that digital transactions are going to rise uh, because people don't want to touch the currency notes, right? Right. <laughs> so, it's a funny way of thinking about it. But actually, it is also partly true. It is kind of a serious issue too. You don't want to... You cannot sanitize the, you know, you cannot sanitize the dollar notes and so on. Right. So that's kind of on a funny note or a lighter note, but really a lot of uh, transactions are happening online and they can be more efficient with this, uh, you know, blockchain kind of technologies. And if you involve AI to do things like fraud detection, so if you, there are a lot of cybersecurity threats and frauds that can happen. Uh, I think that is the, that is the new focus for uh, AI uh, algorithms. So AI algorithms have to identify where where fraud is happening, where is uh, cybersecurity threat happening, and that can go a long way to increase confidence among people on financial and banking sector when it comes to using these technologies. 
and uh, yeah banking and finance can be very you know positively affected by blockchain and also a can play an important role here to uh, enhance the cybersecurity and financial uh, protection right so the fear of people touching their currency because of the coronavirus i believe is actually going to hasten the move towards a cashless economy especially across a lot of the developing countries yeah definitely i completely agree with you i think that is that is a major uh, thing and i think at least people are already thinking about it right i can even talk about my household we, we have not been going to any shop not taking any dollars not even credit cards everything is online we are making all our transactions online right thank you very much dr badri it's been very insightful talking to you we've learned a lot from your expertise today and i believe a lot of people businesses and governments will benefit from these insights Yeah thank you very much Dr Frank for your thought provoking questions as well I think a large part of the discussion was because of your questions I was able to I was forced to think deeply and I was able to answer so thank you very much for your nice questions All right this is where we conclude part 1 of this discussion Join us again in part 2 as we discuss the impact of disruptive technologies on international trade and the global economy post COVID-19 Subscribe to the Risk Experience podcast and thank you for listening.